Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful for you, feely human. You are the light in my heart. You are the joy in my life. You are the apple of my eye. You are the... What else? I don't know. Are there other things? I don't know. You're just... You bring me joy, and I'm happy you're here. Today's episode 97. And in this episode, I chat with the copacetic system about dissociative identity disorder and nonviolent communication. I will tell you that this episode was very special. Uh, and I was very uh, honored and grateful to be a part of it. Uh, Lydia, the core self, and Isabel, the host of the copacetic system, they showed up and spoke with me during this conversation. The copacetic system uh, has been diagnosed with a dissociative identity disorder, as I mentioned, and I've never experienced that before. I've never spoken to an identity who identifies as having DID. So it was a really uh, wonderful learning experience for me. It was also just a great empathy exercise to understand and to to really like relate. Uh, there was a lot of relating, and it was really uh, I welled up a couple of times in this episode. It was really quite moving for me, and I was just so grateful, most of all, to the big heart and courageousness uh, that exists within the copacetic system. So. Thank you to them. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. Before we get to the episode, though, I did want to remind you that upcoming is episode 100 of Yumi Empathy. Woo! 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 And uh, that's exciting. So on episode 100, I was going to do a different type of celebration, but I decided to switch it up because I didn't get many submissions. And we'll be doing an episode on Camp Heal, my experience at the eating disorder enrichment camp led by Project Heal. And I'm going to talk about my experience running the workshop and just the whole Camp Heal experience. Uh, So I'm recording with some campers and workshop leaders and even the co-director of Camp Heal. And I'll put that all into one episode, episode 100. So look forward to that. Very exciting. I did want to uh, also read a Apple uh, podcast review uh, because I recently put out a call to get some more reviews because, you guys, the more reviews that Yumi Empathy gets on Apple Podcasts, the better. Um, Apple does, like, their weird sort of uh, bot thing and, you know, analytics and numbers, and I don't, I don't understand what they do, but the more reviews means potentially more listeners of Yumiapathy, and that's what we want. Not because it's numbers, not because I want to see more five-star reviews, I do, but because at the end of the day, the more listeners means more empathy in the world, and that's what we want. So I'm going to read a new review. I've got a few of them, but I'm going to read one. Uh, So if you do leave me a review, an authentic, 
honest review. I'll read it on the show. Uh, let's see. This one is from uh, Black Eyed Susan twenty three. Uh, Susan says, so nice to have a male host on an empathy show. I listen to a lot of podcasts about mental health, wellness, and empathy. Most are hosted by women. Not at all a bad thing because podcasting is still a man's world, but I think they're often a perception that emotions and feelings are, quote, women's work. Known is such a wonderful host and really normalizes conversation about empathy and feely stuff. Through the lens of a male perspective, it's so, so refreshing. Love the variety of guests and mental health topics, too. Thank you, Known. End quote. Thank you, Black Eyed Susan 23. That really made my day. Um, I, I love hearing that. And yeah, I I certainly don't. I, I am a straight, cis, uh, white male. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of those on the mic. And I'd like to see more uh, people of color and minority groups uh, on the mic. That we need to celebrate. But I do appreciate the call out that um, not a lot of men doing sort of the feely stuff. And the feely stuff is my jam. I would actually like a jam made that tastes like feely stuff. What would that taste like? Hmm. I mean, I'm partial to marmalade. But that's, you know, that's its own thing. This would have to be its own thing. Anyways, I'm rambling. Thank you for leaving that review. And if you want to leave a review, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Yumi Empathy, and write yourself a review. I will read them on the intros to these episodes. Okay. Shall we do it? Shall we get to episode 97 of Yumi Empathy? Let's do it. This is my conversation with the copacetic system on dissociative identity disorder and nonviolent communication. Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others, to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight, so we can, hand-in-hand, Break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm grateful for this opportunity to engage in heart-led curiosity to learn more about dissociative identity disorder with the copacetic system. Hello. Hi. How, how are you? We are great. So, thank you for that. So, when when I should I say how are you, or is there another is there a better way to phrase that? You know, the DID community 
experiences a lot of different types of ways that were addressed. You is fine for us. A lot of people prefer their own pronouns, um, but we just like to use the word you. We like to present our system as a replacement for the word self. So anytime you were to say trust yourself or believe in yourself, we would say trust your system and believe in your system. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for being on Yumi Empathy. Thank you for having us. We are so very grateful for the opportunity to spread awareness and educate you and your listeners on dissociative identity disorder. Lovely, lovely. Well, before we get into uh, your story, uh, we always kind of start off the show with an emotional check-in. How how has the week been? How how are you uh, doing? Uh, This week has been particularly good for us. We made some breakthroughs last week in our healing process, and we've been able to navigate our normal triggers in a much better way this week than we have previously. So it's actually been a really great week, although currently there are a lot of different smaller parts that are quite anxious about sharing our story. Mm. I I hear that. And what we're... um... What can you uh, sort of share a little bit of what uh, made this week a little bit better, and and sort of what the breakthroughs were about? Yeah, we um, each of our parts represents kind of a core fear and a basic need that humans have, and um, some of our smaller parts, our more original parts, they have some very basic needs and very deep core fears. Um, And we were able to comfort one of those original parts for the very first time last week. Oh, lovely. That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, so for me this week, I am in a place now where um, my partner asked how I was doing this week. And I I think I'm not... um, I think I've been doing well, but I have also been sort of heads down on some creative projects, and I think I haven't been as engaged in my mental health. So I've, I've, I really had to kind of think about it because I think my depression has been in check, um, despite the fact that I think that I'm not sure my medication is working as as it used to, and so I'm, I'm sort of trying to figure out if it's just this sort of creative high of, of this, this new sort of creative endeavor that I'm pursuing or um, me just ignoring my, my mental health. Uh, so um, that's where I'm at. That constant balance is sometimes so hard to achieve, especially if you lose sight of mindfulness for us. That's how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mindfulness piece of it is so... Like I, as I get older, I, I realize how important that is, especially as I just engage in all of these things, you know, through this podcast and, and it's really, this stuff is on my mind constantly. And I, but I think there's, there's a difference between sort of curiously sort of supporting another and, and sort of being there for another and being curious about what's going on with them as opposed to like looking back inward and doing that work, which is so important. But, you know, I think 
is easy to forget sometimes. I think we as humans are are uh, very good at uh, putting our own needs uh, behind others, you know. Yeah, we are certainly very good at that. I think it speaks a lot to our compassionate and empathetic nature. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get into the story of the copacetic system. Um, I first want to uh, just make sure um, you are aware and the listeners are aware. You know, I, again, I'm going. I'm coming from this from a perspective of someone who hasn't engaged with. Uh, anyone with uh, dissociative identity disorder. Um, my heart is open. This is a safe space. Um, I am sort of here to facilitate uh, your journey. And, and to your point, I think definitely like, in, you know, allow the listeners of this show to learn. Because I think the more we learn about what our fellow feely human is experiencing, I think the better we can empathize and the better we can connect with one another. So, that's the framework with which I'm going to proceed here. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you what, how do you define dissociative identity disorder? Dissociative identity disorder is classified as a mental illness. However, it's more a neurodevelopmental one. It is caused only in childhood before adolescence, before ego states merge to create one personality. Hmm. And so everyone who has dissociative identity disorder has endured repeated childhood trauma before the age of nine. I see. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I've read about it. Um, I'm on the, the NAMI website right now. And... Mm -hmm. um, one of the sort of causes, um, uh, they say, dissociative disorders, disorders usually develop as a way of dealing with trauma, as you said. Uh, mo most often form in childhood uh, or in children exposed to long-term long physical, sexual, or emotional uh, abuse. Uh, natural disasters and combat can also cause dissociative disorders. So, for you... Uh, do you are you do you have an awareness of the 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 point at which that this started? Um, I was born into a traumatic environment. I was, um, I guess you could say, I was abused from the start. Um, and my mother actually endured um, some physical abuse at the hands of the father. Um, while we were in utero. So you could even say that our trauma started then. Before you're nine, what do you, can you explain or can you kind of go into any detail with, you know, the type of abuse that you experienced? Yes. Um, uh, trigger warning for anyone who's listening. Um, when I was very young, my mother, my mother was um, 16 when she had me and my father had been previously, um, I knew this much later in life, but previously arrested and convicted of sexual assault. And um, that happened to my mother, you know, as I said, when we were in utero, as well as um, us as a child. The, and that occurred before the memories that we have, really. We only have body memories um, from that time period. 
However, around body age three um, is when we pick up with flashback memories or um, trauma flashbacks, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that was physical assault on us as well as the mother. And of course, us witnessing the physical assault. Um, we were removed from the home actually by police. However, our mother decided to go back and she endured additional trauma. And mm -hmm. because of that, we didn't really have contact with her. She later um, sort of abandoned us as well. And um, we were raised by our great grandmother. And that all happened prior to age four. So um, the rest of our life kind of mimicked that with our father who was diagnosed with schizophrenia and did have a lot of delusions. Um, he tried to kidnap us several times and those kinds of things. So um, he was awarded custody by the state of North Carolina of us um, and by, I mean, joint custody, unsupervised visitation in spite of his past history of battery and sexual assault. Hmm. Um, and that sexual abuse continued at the hands of our father and um, several friends of our father for many years while our mother was gone. So no one could actually prevent that from happening to us. And that is the sources of the majority of our childhood trauma. I see. Well, let me just say that, you know, that's, um, that's brutal. That's so hard. And I'm so sorry. Um, thank you. We've, we've come a long way with acceptance. Um, and we've come a long way with our recovery. Our recovery took it a, a whole different turn because we thought that our trauma was mostly that. And then we realized later that through therapy that we continued to endure different kinds of trauma, more emotional trauma mm -hmm. that we really weren't able to identify as trauma because of the severity of the trauma we endured as a child. Right. So, so it continued throughout our life. Yeah. And the, the thing about emotional trauma is, you know, it's, it's almost more insidious in some ways because it's, it's, um, it kind of sneaks up on you. It's it's not it's not as apparent. It's not as uh, directly obvious as something so heinous heinous as uh, sexual uh, abuse or or sort of physical abuse. You know. Yeah. It. What you're saying is something that's very true for our system. The mother the mother eventually came back, and we endured a lot of emotional abuse from the mother and the stepfather mm -hmm. throughout adolescence. And our most primary protector, our most in-your-face fight part, um, definitely is the one that took on the mother. And some would say, and that fight part is me, Lydia, that you're speaking to now. And some would say in the system that I suffered more psychological abuse than they did with the physical trauma. Hmm. You're like uh, a protector. Uh, yeah, I would call myself the primary protector. Um, we believe that all parts are protectors, even though there's a lot of different words people use to describe them. All parts are protectors. Gotcha. That's the purpose of the disorder. Gotcha, gotcha. 
And at what what age did you start becoming aware of, uh, you know, the system I, of identities that 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 you have? Um, you know, it's easy to look back now through the lens I have and see all the signs from childhood. But the truth is, we noticed that we had another me, or at least one other part, when we moved away from our traumatic environment um, and went off to college. And it was during college that the time loss became unexplainable and um, the dissociative amnesia and there were just too many things happening that couldn't be explained. And that's when we first sought help, which we, we weren't allowed to seek help prior to that because of the environment we were growing up in. But that was the first time we sought help. And that was 13 years ago. Hmm. So you were living in that you were living with your mother and your stepfather up until college. Yeah. Yeah. Until, well, right before college, um, I did move out prior to turning 18, um, after a physical altercation, um, Mm. when I was 17. So, um, I did move out prior to that and then went off to college. Gotcha. Gotcha. And these, um, these uh, moments of amnesia, like what did, can you explain to me what that is and a, a little bit and help me understand? Yeah. So it's very similar to regular amnesia that we all know about, um, but it's called dissociative amnesia. And it's what happens between parts when we switch from one identity to another. So in some systems, Some parts have access to what goes on when other parts are fronting or controlling the body, as we call it. And then other parts don't have access. So, for example, me, Lydia, the fight part, I say and do a lot of mean things to scare people away. Well, I used to. I don't now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But three years ago, I was pretty intimidating. And there was a reason for that. And our shame part, who is an 11-year-old named Ashley, our shame part never had access to what was going on when I was fronting mm. because that wouldn't have served us very well. I see. And, and so that will create what some people call amnesic barriers between parts or dissociative amnesia. Um, so for most of our life, there was there were only signs that our parts were moving. We never really had awareness as to what was going on when other parts were fronting, Um, especially in college when we first discovered we had another me. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like, you know, there there are parts that, um, you know, Lydia or other parts uh, are, are, you know, you're, you're sort of mindful of, what you know is needed and what is not like what what which part should be privy to this information or should not be is that fair to say yeah and i would say that is built in that's part of what makes us a system gotcha. that's our coping mechanism the system runs and we kind of just have to let it <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense to me and so You're 18 when you first uh, go to therapy? Yeah, I went to um, student health 
at the college I was at and was um, sent to, I can't remember if the psychiatrist came there or we went to them. We went to college at a very small private university. Um, and the doctor evaluated us very quickly. And to be fair, we said there's like two two versions of us. There's the depressed one and the really angry one. Mm. And we received a bipolar diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why education is so important. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But even, you know... Um, yeah, even it, it is 100% so important, uh, especially when it comes to our own mental health and empathy and stuff. But like also, it makes sense that the doctor would, you know, like say that, like to your point, like you're like giving him kindness or her kindness because, um, you know, you're sort of explaining to maybe possible potential sort of facets that would align to a bipolar uh, diagnosis, for instance. Um, do you think that, um, like, how did that feel talking to the doctor about it? Did you feel, um, not ready? Did it feel not, I mean, you're only 18 at this point. Did you feel, you know, you, you didn't have the language for it yet? Like, what did that, what was that experience like talking to it, talking to the doctor? Yeah. You know, looking back looking back on it, I didn't have the language. In fact, we didn't have the language to get the diagnosis we needed until last year. Mm. And, and that is, that really, that speaks to why we got the second misdiagnosis later in, in our, in our mental health journey and why most systems spend seven to 10 years inside the mental health like system before they even get the diagnosis they need because we don't have the right words. And, medical professionals are taught this is a rare disorder. Right. And so it's not, it's not their first line of defense, but studies have shown that dissociative disorders and structural dissociation actually impacts um, a lot of people. Yeah. So um, in my research, I read that it's about 2% of the population have dissociative disorders. Is that correct? Well, that's a, that's about accurate for a dissociative identity disorder, and it's about two to three percent. Um, and those are systems that are actually diagnosed. But if you look at the online community, ninety percent of them can't get a diagnosis. Mm. And so, and it, not to mention the misinformation out there about dissociative disorders in general um, and what those are. Because a lot of people see derealization and depersonalization as well as dissociative identity disorder and other speci- other specify- otherwise specified dissociative identity disorder as just the dissociative disorders. But according to the theory of structural dissociation, it includes PTSD, CPTSD, and BPD as well. Hmm. So help me understand maybe some of the a little bit more of the misconceptions about dissociative identity disorder? Well, the first one is we are not serial killers (laughs) because that's how the media portrays us. This disorder has only been portrayed as having an evil altar that is capable of killing. Yeah. Yeah. Across the board. And that's not true. In fact, most of us only have evil altars that will harm our own selves. Um, 
Most of us have been through so many traumatic experiences that we're afraid to leave the house, much less go to a place to buy a gun. Mm -hmm. Most of us are afraid to even use our real names. Right. And, and the Sybil and Glass and Split and even movies who are supposed to portray disorders in a specific way and miniseries like The Act, they all don't really explain that we're childhood trauma survivors. We're terrified. We're, we're not, we're not monsters. And that's the only thing that people in society see. That's the first question we always get asked when we tell someone we have multiple personalities. Is one of them going to kill me? Mm. Wow. Um, You've been asked. Yeah. That. Actually, every time by people I considered friends Wow. prior to diagnosis. Um, and, well, we won't talk about the relatives that we've gone no contact with. <laughs> that's fair. I get that. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, I mean, it's deeply sad. And it, to your point, it's, it's why education is so important. But there is still, you know, you know, obviously DID is uh, one part of it. And, and uh, you know, the sort of representations in media is very problematic. And then sort of widen that scope and just representations of mental health, mental illness is uh, pretty kind of appalling across the board, I would argue. Well, that is what I was going to say, you know, the normalization of trauma and mental illness seen as a specific kind of thing that's all in your head instead of treating it the same as a physical illness. That is so prominent in everything we all see that we're fighting a huge fight here. Yeah. How do you, you know, so I, uh, just for a little context, I, I consider myself have, having gone through some trauma in my life. And, you know, I, I, I believe that trauma has certainly shaped me in a lot of ways. And it, it has has served me in, in ways, and it's part of my identity now. Um, how do you... Now that, you know, you're in therapy, you have this uh, diagnosis, diagnosis, like how do you now look back on your trauma? I think we always looked back on our trauma as what shaped us, but we never really recognized what that trauma did to us internally. We never gave it space. We never gave it its, its, its time that it deserved. Um, and so we always thought that it shaped us. And through our recovery, we realized that not only did it shape us, but it shaped every identity we have. And I think that's how it works for everyone. You know, trauma shapes our identities. And for people with PTSD who have a part that keeps going on with life and a part that experienced the trauma, it's the same for them. They, they either deny their, that part that experienced the trauma and that need or they give it space. And there's no one ever really talking about the balance of giving it space and, and, and letting it live there. You know, we're taught as a society to push all that down right. and not be feeling humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. While, while you were saying that, I was thinking about um, just how how I and others who maybe don't have dissociative identity disorder can better connect with you and better better relate to you. And I, I think, 
you know, obviously I can't precisely put myself in your shoes, but I can, I think, understand that you are, I mean, you're a Fila human, <laughs> first and foremost, <laughs> but you're also someone who has experienced uh, uh, trauma. And I, I think so many of us can uh, r- relate to that on various levels. And then also the idea of, um, like for me, for instance, like I have aspects of my self that are incongruent at times. I have aspects of myself that, uh, like, I do things that confuse me or, or, or you know, I like aspects of my character. You know, other aspects may be problematic. And, I, and, and all of these things are things that I need to, for my own mental health, recognize and be mindful of. And I would say, like, I'm not uh, in any way um, uh, saying this to minimize what you have experienced or what, you, what you're going through, but just as a way to maybe allow me and maybe others to, to better connect with you and allow um, us to, you know, better serve each other as feely humans. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... I have a lot to say on this topic, so stop me if I get too windy. Oh, please. Um, And I feel some other parts present, so if you start to notice changes in voice, tone, and cadence, that would be them passively influencing what I'm trying to convey. Okay. Um, Because we all have a lot of thoughts on this. You know, a lot of people in the DID community are offended or upset when what they call singlets or people with one personality try to relate to to people with DID. But the truth is emotions are on a spectrum and so are parts and they kind of work consistently with one another from our experience. And so I'll try to emotions like when you say, Oh, I feel sad. And then it just passes. Think of that as a zero on the parts scale. And then a 10 on that emotion would be a part of you that only feels that emotion and only reacts and responds in that emotion. And that part, say anger, has full autonomy. I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out. Have you? I love that movie. Okay, this movie is the best representation of DID and how it relates to normal people that is anywhere, in our personal opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote a big piece on my blog about that movie because it touched me in in a very profound way. So I'm going to try to relate it to DID because I think this is a perfect way for everyone to be able to relate to us as parts. So you know when Friendship Island takes that first hit and the lights go out? Mm-hmm. And then it takes another hit and everything cracks and crumbles and then it breaks off. That is how a part splits off in I DID. See. I see. And those emotions that you see, disgust and anger, I mean, we can give names. Anger is me, Lydia. Disgust is our part, Emmy. Joy is our part, Isabel. Um, it's very, very, very prominent. And it also represents, you know how people can understand when your emotions take over and control the body. And that's what happens to us. Only those emotions are their own person. They have their own identity and they have autonomy. I see. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. 
and and I appreciate the um, uh, I appreciate the analogy because that's that's a movie I very much cherish and just how it impacted my own sort of look at emotions, right? And it's really helpful. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Can you uh, talk to me a little bit about? I, I did some um, reading, and uh, you know, I really loved the stuff that you're putting out, and you know, I, I think it's really important. And I did some reading uh, on on your blog uh, about you, or maybe it was on your Instagram account talking about uh, blended identities. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. So blended is a term that we use to describe when an emotional or trauma-related part blends into whoever is fronting in the body. Usually when the part blends, we over-identify with the feeling. So if you've ever over-identified with your emotion and sunk into that rumination, um, you can kind of probably relate to what I mean. The emotion takes over and you're not really sure what you're doing and you feel disoriented and That would be an emotion blending in for us. You know, it's a part blending in and often we become dissociated or not sure what to do and frozen, if you will, because of the influence of the part. And so blending for us is the most scary state of consciousness that we experience. We have several different consciousness that we experience, but blended is the most scary because we're not really sure who is here and why they are here. Hmm. I see. Um, that makes sense. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the mm-hmm. other sort of aspect of uh, DID that you've you've recently been sort of exploring is is um, the communication piece. Like, how did? Can you explain mm-hmm. to me how? how that works and how you kind of listen to each other and and communicate with each other? Um, Yeah. So first I'd like to address how we used to communicate because that's probably the most important part. Sure. And I'm sure people can relate to this. If you think about hearing about your inner critic and your inner child and your internal dialogue and, you know, those thoughts that people have, we have them, the same, only they're parts and they sound different and they might be a different voice or they might be a different gender or race. Um, They might be based on a fictional character. And that inner dialogue between our parts is the communication we talk about. And healing for us started with learning to change our internal communication. So I'll just give you an example Think about high school and the cliques that everybody has. We had a part that was on the math team that was kind of nerdy. And then we had the popular part. And then we had the goth kid. And we have all of those kids and what they think about each other in our head all the time. And that's how they communicate to each other, just like kids did in adolescence to someone who didn't fit in with their group of friends. Mm. And we had to learn how to basically, and I use this analogy a lot because these are my Lydia's parts. I had a self-proclaimed and a self-proclaimed hood rat. That's what she called herself part. And a part that was modeled from Laura Ingalls on Little House in the Prairie. Hmm, And we had to figure out a way to make them get along. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I can, you know, I can, it's such a good, I love the uh, analogy of the clicks because it's such, I mean, high school was the worst for me, but, you know, it's just like, it's, su- it's such a um, emotionally fraught, you know, just p- kids being the worst to each other, very judgmental. So I can imagine having that, uh, having those parts sort of uh, deal on those levels has got to be, that's got to be hard. Yeah, we were so fortunate that our therapist um, worked with us and taught us a specific communication technique that we were able to use internally to be able to accomplish that. Of course, that wasn't an easy task because um, when your brain is as fragmented as ours, reading comprehension and awareness is very different than it is for an average person. Um, But we were able to use um, nonviolent communication um, to be able to get all of our parts to work together. And it took us about a year, but now we're to a place where our internal dialogue doesn't trigger ourselves anymore. Because Mm -hmm. before, the way our part talked to another part was almost re-traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How was that um, experience with your therapist learning those, you know, communication techniques? At first, I, Lydia, was resistant because I don't like anyone telling me that I'm violent with my communication, even though I know I am. And (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was very resistant. And there were other parts that were resistant for their own different reasons, of course. And our going on with normal life part was really needed to be able to read and comprehend and utilize it. And we were all, us emotional parts, were so emotional about learning, we were kind of blocking her, our going on with normal life part, from being able to, well, go on with life. And the therapist kind of worked with us to spark enough curiosity to... um, get the part of our brain that has our going on with normal life part in it back online. And then once that happened, we were able to consistently use this communication tactic. It didn't start out at first where we could all use it. It was just Isabel, our going on with normal life part, who communicated in a very nice way to all of us as we shouted at her and said all all kinds of terrible things. I know I did. Um, But she maintained the steps and over time, even the worst of us, that being me, <laughs> um, now I can communicate nonviolently and it transferred to external as well, not just in our inner world, external as well. With other, other feely humans. Other feely humans. Yeah. Um, gotcha. It actually changed our life. <laughs> I'm, I, that's amazing. I love that. And is so is your therapist a specialist in DID? There isn't really such a thing. A lot of people that are psychologists still believe the disorder doesn't even exist. Um, Why is that the case? The stigma. The stigma, okay. The same reason that they believe all BPD patients are non-compliant. Hmm. Um, 
it's an old school of thought. You know, I think it comes from a lot of misunderstanding about how trauma impacts humans as a whole. Yeah. Um, and the definition of trauma and how it's evolved much faster than our bodies and brains have. Right. Right. Um, when, when you want to, uh, you, Lydia, or the system uh, parts want to uh, maybe learn new things about each other, how does, how does that, how's that interaction, how do you facilitate that? There are a couple of ways we do that. We start our day with a meeting in the headspace where we kind of all come together and just talk about the day and what part is needed for what part of the day um, and which part can handle making that phone call best and that kind of thing. So we kind of make a plan for the day. And when we want to learn more about each other, we have a conversation in the inner world. Um, I, Lydia, have gone to the parts house quite often in the headspace and had a conversation. Um, and some people call that visualization, but for us, it's more about um, disso- dissociating. Like we will willfully dissociate to achieve that goal. Mm. So I, Lydia, will just say, okay, I, I need to, I need to talk to this part and I will go to their house. And at that point, if you were looking at us from the outside, it would just look like to you that we were meditating. Um, but our inner world operates on its own. Um, and that's part of the coping mechanism that DID is, you know, we, as children, we sort of escaped to our inner worlds to get away from where we actually were. Did you learn this technique from the therapist or, or just kind of through your own sort of research and education? It's kind of been how we lived our life. Hmm. Um, and we didn't know it was dissociation. We didn't know we were talking to parts. For a long time, we thought we were just getting a consensus. We thought our whole life we've had, you know, needed to get a consensus of what our ideas and feelings were. There was never just one or two. And we saw that as as a very normal thing. Um, And then as time went on, I'm sorry, someone is approaching here. I believe it's Isabel. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Sure. Um, I was just uh, wondering about the technique of sort of going inward and establishing relationships between uh, your identities. Like, where did you learn that technique? Oh, thank you for repeating the question. Um, Now I remember what we were talking about. I, Isabel, have been the host of the system for, well... Time is a little bit weird, but since we were three, so it's been about 28 years, and um, I've experienced going into the inner world the most. Um, That's kind of what dissociation is for us. We kind of just retreat 
it looks like we're zoning out, but we retreat. And I've been retreating into the inner world to play with what I thought was imaginary friends since childhood. So it's kind of a technique we always had, but our therapist did sort of give us permission, as therapists do, to utilize it because we were very ashamed to willfully dissociate. We mm-hmm. thought it was bad and something you shouldn't do. But our therapist informed us differently. No, that's a natural coping mechanism for you. Allow it. And so um, that's why we allow it now and also why we chose to be more overt about being a system. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's lovely. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. Can you can you help me understand how how relationships with uh, external identities work, like relationships with with me or with with friends? Like, how do, is that uh, a challenge? Is that difficult? Yes, it's very difficult. Often, people like one part more than the other, and. Um, so it's hard because friends will want to talk to one specific part, and that's really difficult for us. Mm. It's kind of a reenactment, if you will, of disowning. Right. And it's very hard sometimes to have external relationships. We're very lucky that we have two partners that um, really understand, one who is a system um, and then one who has BPD. So um, they also have parts, but not the same as ours. Mm-hmm. And so you found support in others within the DID community? Yes. Um, the DID online community is one of the most exclusive places to be. Um, well, inclusive, I should say. Sorry. We don't really exclude anyone because we all have different, I mean, we all have all of those different things about a person inside of us. And so a lot of us have members who are non-binary or members who identify as trans or so we have a lot of inclusivity in in that community. But like any other community, there's also division. Hmm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of division between communities or the endogenic and the traumagenic communities and a lot of different things that happen in a community. So I would say we found support, but like anything else, we also found a lot of negativity, too. Hmm. Negativity toward uh, DID? Um, well, that's in general from the public online, but mm-hmm. from the community itself, it's more about... I'm sorry, Lydia's coming back. Bear with me. Hello? Hi. Um, the, the sign that I'm here... Is the heart rate increasing? And then the other thing is I'm triggered by talking about hateful people. <laughs> hateful people, injustice, all of those things are a trigger for yeah. me, Lydia. And so I just come to the front when those things are happening. So sure. since we're talking about that, yeah, there's a lot of dispute within the DID community about what is valid and what isn't valid. Um, just like in all other communities, I feel like there's always division and we're all just, you know, feeling humans as you say, but yeah, there can be a lot of division. I think most of it comes from people not understanding that 
systems may not be aware of their trauma or may believe that they didn't have any trauma. And right. people who say they have systems and also say they don't have trauma get a lot of hate, I think, mm. um, just because they're not aware of their trauma or haven't processed their trauma. Or they misidentify what trauma is. Right, right. Yeah, it's why the processing it is so processing of it is so essential. You know, hearing you speak, I um, my heart uh, a little bit breaks for a world where we as humans, because that's what we are, every one of us, um, can't when we can't find a way to really meet people where they are. And I think hearing you talk about divisions within community and hate online and, and um, you know, even challenges with, uh, you know, establishing relationships, um, friendships, uh, romantic relationships, uh, otherwise, um, when you talk about how maybe challenging those are because there is an individual who can't, who or has a difficult time um, sort of meeting each part and giving each part the grace that they deserve. Like, um, like that, I think that that's probably hard for people, but I think that's what is required of all human relationships. Well, and that is something that we love to spread that people with DID are just trying to heal an entire family inside themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's an entire family of people who have had their needs disowned, basically, their whole lives. And the only way to really do that, both internally and externally, is to find compassion for the experience of every other person. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, like, I think, you know, it's <laughs> hearing you speak and, 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 uh, hearing your experience with the, tra with your trauma and, and the compassion that it, you have to give each part and the communication sort of challenges that you've, you've had and have overcome and, have, and are working on. Like, that is the work that we all need to do. Um, inwardly and outwardly. And I, I think just hearing you, it's become, uh, hearing you speak, it's just such a, a beautiful sort of microcosm of what we each need to do in terms of connecting and meeting people. And uh, so thank you. You're, you're welcome. I, it is important. And I think that it's important more so just to let everyone know that that is the way to healing. It, 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 isn't, it isn't about healing anything external or trying to fix anything external. It's about healing all of the relationships with all the parts of yourself. And for some people, those parts are lost in a divorce or a cheating spouse. And for some people like us, those parts have their own autonomy and have experienced a lot over a lot of time. But Everyone has a part to heal because we've all endured something, whether it be from a bully in school, from a parent or a trusted adult, 
or even a boss later in life. We've all endured something that we need to heal from. Yeah, absolutely. So what is, what is your, um, what does your care look like? What is your, are you sort of in regular therapy and, and, um, do you take medication? Like what is, what is your sort of self care look like in terms of for your mental health? Oh, it's a big mess. And I say that in the most endearing way possible. Um, when you're trying to self care for 10 to 15 parts, we have many more than that, but those are frequent fronters. When you're trying to self-care for all those parts, and they all have different ways that they need to care for themselves, it can get very hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so there, we don't take any medication. Um, the, there isn't really any medication that can help with DID. There are medications that can help with some of the symptoms, but often those medications make the DID symptoms worse. So... Patients with DID kind of are caught in a rut there most of the time. And our self-care looks a lot like zoning out or daydreaming for most of the day because we have to figure out what part we need to listen to at any given point. So we Mm -hmm. practice intuitive self-care is what we call it. We use intuitive eating. We use intuitive movement. And that basically just means we go inward and talk to all of our parts throughout the day to find out which part needs what from us at what time. And so it never really looks the same. But what does look the same is how often we check in. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you, you know, in addition to the sort of work you're putting out and, and educating the community, uh, have there been any sort of um, books or resources that have helped you in, in sort of understanding uh, better DID and, 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 and that world? Yeah. So there's not a lot out there that is good as far as understanding. There's a lot of work from the author of The Body Keeps the Score, which is one of the books I recommend. Um, oh, yes. I love that book. Oh, oh. Um, he and some of his colleagues have been doing research, you know, as you know, probably since the 40s on PTSD and trauma. Um, and they helped develop this, um, other theories about trauma-based disorders, DID being one specifically. So they believe that DID is a form of PTSD. Um, and one of his, one of the colleagues is Janina Fisher, and she wrote a book called Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors. And um, in that book, she outlines a parts approach that we sort of used. It didn't really work on its own for us. We had to incorporate other things um, from other well-known folks like the nonviolent communication and mindful self-compassion from Kristen Neff and um, the schema theory from, I believe it's Jeff Lightning, as well as um, the polyvagal theory. All of those things combined with that book we just discussed is what really shapes our ideas, our personal ideas about trauma and healing. Um, we've worked with our therapist to, there is no treatment model that works for DID currently. And we've worked with our therapist to, to form one that worked for us um, 
we were in therapy twice a week, but we now are as needed. Okay. Okay. I mean, it seems to me that, um, you know, for someone with DID, the the self care and the uh, just the education component of it is such a like such a huge part of it. Like I think because there's so much as you as you said, there's so there's so many um, varying needs uh, within you and 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 the parts, and they're all valid and, and important part of the the system. And you know, I think. Like, do you ever feel, or do any parts ever feel overwhelmed by that experience, exhausted by it? All of us, all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm glad you said exhausted because a lot of DID patients also suffer with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. Um, and it's because of the switching and the effort that it takes to, to get through a day. We... And you mentioned education, and I'd like to retro back to that because you're right. The burden for how to heal is really placed on the patient with DID themselves. And most of the time, quite frankly, we don't know where we are or how we got there. Mm -hmm. And that's so disheartening. And we are so fortunate and so lucky. We have a research part um, who went to, to school and she went through college and and. So we understand the neurobiology because of her college education. And so that's why we've chosen to take the time to actually educate folks, not only about this disorder, but the trauma impacts and how the brain works and exactly why parts are the way they are. Um, and we're putting that information out on our, our Instagram as well as our website. But you're right. The education is not out there. And even therapists aren't educated. In fact, we know a lot of systems who are educating their therapists at this point, but not many therapists are that open-minded. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's such a value, and I, I really value the fact that you are putting the education out there, um, and I really appreciate it. Can you, um, for the listeners of Yumi Empathy, can you um, give some tips and and sort of yeah just some tips on how we as singlets is that, is that the <laughs> oh, term you I, use as feely humans i the, they use the term singlets in the community but i don't like that kind of division okay as feely humans how how we can better uh serve uh humans who have did better communicate with humans who have DID? Yeah, stop judging. That's a good because one. That's the, that's the one thing that keeps us systems hiding is judgment. Because, and specifically us, you know, we go to the grocery store and our four-year-old part runs to the self-checkout shouting, want to do the beep beep. <laughs> And we were so ashamed to allow that to happen because of the way other people reacted. And I think it's important for people to know that you don't know what's going on with anyone. And your judgment serves no one, not even you. And I think that translates not to just EID, but everyone. But I think not being judgmental 
and also standing up to media and saying, we're not watching this crap anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm in agreement 100%. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, so let's, um, I guess uh, before we transition into Empathy Heroes, like, is there anything else that you would like to share and sort of educate me and the, and the listeners on in terms of uh, DID, something that we didn't cover? I think the most important message that I would like to say, and I hope that I represent the community well, is that we just want to be accepted for who we are. And who we are is more than one I. And it would be nice if people could understand that personality isn't who you are. It's just how who you are manifest in the external world. And throughout our lives, we all go through phases where our personality changes based on our environment. And I think if people could realize that some of our parts are just stuck in those changes, some of our parts are stuck in those emotions that, you know, you feel when your boyfriend breaks up with you when you're 17 and you just can't go on. Our part that handles those emotions is triggered by a response in our brains, the threat defense system that we can't control, just like everyone else's responses are triggered by their threat defense system. Yeah. And our threat defense system the way that we defend, fight, flight, freeze, if you think of those as in one part that always fights, one part that always flights, and one part that always freezes, then it might be easier to get to know a person with DID. Because truthfully, we can be best friends with anyone because we all have, we have a part that <laughs> kind of relates to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for that. And I, I, I just want to say that, you know, I accept you and I accept all of you. And, um, and I, I think, you know, the listeners of Yumi Empathy uh, are, are some of the most compassionate, empathetic people that I've interacted with. And I, I, um, I'm just grateful that there are pockets of community, there are pockets of people out there who, who do accept each other and, and will accept, um, you know, you and your system and, you know, I, I, and I hope that that grows. I hope that those people, those pockets of acceptance and love and kindness, um, you know, continues to grow and we create bigger pockets. I think that is how light works. It mm. eventually shuts out the darkness, huh? Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's transition into empathy heroes. This is the part of the show where, uh, my guests and I, share someone uh, in their lives uh could be a character from a book could be a character from a movie could be a quote we like from a book just someone who is just a great uh empathetic person um i will go first to give you a moment to think on that my empathy hero this week is uh the writer patrick rothfuss um who wrote uh, a tremendous book called the name of the wind it's a fantasy book that um it's just remarkable. It's really, really quite stunning. And uh, this is a quote from it that I really appreciated. Uh, Patrick says, quote, 
When we are children, we seldom think of the future. This innocence leaves us free to enjoy ourselves as few adults can. The day we fret about this future is the day we leave our childhood behind. End quote. And I, I like that. I think, um, I think it reminds me that I need to be present uh, and and mindful of sort of where I'm at in the world, and 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 also mindful of the maybe the the control I have over the world, the little control I have over the world, and 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 sort of embrace the joy as I can in in the current moment. So, uh, Patrick Rothfuss is my empathy hero this week. How about you? Um, my empathy hero this week and probably for the last several weeks would be, um, a counselor on the internet on Instagram. She is, Hey, Tiffany Rowe. And she really just speaks to how society has been curated to kind of destroy the empathy we have, um, and so I think that she and both both she and her husband are empathy warriors because they really just get out there and fight stigma and they talk about how to break down all of those barriers to empathy Lovely. for yourself and others. Love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, where where can people connect with you and, and learn about the copacetic system and, 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 uh, connect with you online and, and read your blog. Um, we'll make, I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes. Okay. Um, on Instagram, we are at our dissociated life and you can find daily updates there. Our blog is our dissociated life.com and you can find links to our YouTube channel from there where you can see, the facial expressions and the mannerisms change in our altars, um, in our videos. We also have a day in the life series where you can see what it's like to live a day in a life where dissociation and parts are appropriately placed. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, listeners go, go follow and go connect and go learn. Cause this is, this is important. And, um, I just want to thank thank you for being a part of this and, and sharing. And I, I um, you know, it was very enlightening for me. And I, it was very, it was a, it was a, I think a, like I'm feeling very empathetic. I'm feeling very, um, like I just like my heart is full, you know, uh, from this, uh, this conversation. I, I just want to thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's very nice to speak to someone who comes into a conversation with an open heart. We don't get that very often and we're very grateful. Well, I, I, you're very welcome. And I, I hope, um, for all of us, for you and for all of us that we find, uh, it in each of us to be more open with our hearts. Cause I, I know that we each have, have that in us. We have that capacity. So, uh, thank you again for being a part of Yumi Empathy. Thank you. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. Oh, oh.
Oh, oh, oh.